Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 66. Today I will be talking about the murder of Paul Skinner and the attempted murder of his wife Mara. My sources for today's episode are Killer Couples, Season 11, Episode 9, Murderpedia.org, TheTimesHerald.com, MLive.com, Detroit.CBSLocal.com, and DetroitNews.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. She was an honor student, destined for success. She had everything set out for her. He was a young man with a troubled past. He was known as the partier, the drinker. He probably seemed dangerous or mysterious to her. But their passion would trigger a deadly series of events. It was a bloodbath. It was a little bloodbath. Something inside her just started to grow. And when a tightly wound web of secrets and lies begins to unravel, it exposes a shocking conspiracy, along with a gut-wrenching betrayal that leaves a family in ruins. Tia Skinner was a 17-year-old honor student. She was also involved in the school band. She had been accepted to Western Michigan University on a full scholarship, and she seemed happy. Tia didn't have the easiest life growing up. She was born to a mother that was in prison, and Tia was sent to live with her aunt and uncle at three months old. She and her brother were adopted by Mara and Paul Skinner, who had two children of their own and were very loving. Mara was a teacher who was well-liked in the district and community. Tia was well-liked in school and hung out with everyone. Tia also enjoyed singing in the church choir, where her family attended each week. It was at church where Tia met Jonathan Kurtz. Jonathan was 18 when they met, and Jonathan had been headed down the wrong path for most of his life. Jonathan's mom wasn't in his life much, and he wasn't close to his dad. Jonathan enjoyed drinking and doing drugs. Jonathan began to turn his life around with the help of his friend, James Preston, and his family. They took him to the church youth group. Jonathan realized that Tia had a very giving spirit, which is what attracted him to her, and it took her by surprise. Tia liked that Jonathan was all about her and gave her undivided attention. On November 12, 2010, a Friday, a little before 11 p.m., Mara and Paul went to bed, and Tia was watching TV with her brother Jeff in the basement. They suddenly heard Paul screaming. Jeff ran and upstairs and saw that Paul was chasing someone out the door. Jeff saw that there was blood everywhere, and Mara was already on the phone calling 911. Jeff immediately grasped the phone. He talks to the 911 operator. The call is very muffled, but as the call goes on, Jeff told them that he worked as an ER nurse. Jeff told the EMTs to go upstairs to work on his mom when they arrived. Mara had been stabbed over 25 times, but she was able to be stabilized. Paul was stabbed less times, but his injuries were more severe. One of the stab wounds hit part of his aorta, and he was pronounced dead at the scene. Tia apparently, Tia appeared equally traumatized, and she and Jeff comforted each other outside the house as Mara was transported to the hospital. Jeff and Tia were questioned separately about the attack. Tia said it was a normal night. She said she had dinner with her parents, and they went shopping. Tia said Jeff had surprised them by coming into town, and they were watching TV and talking when they heard noises upstairs. Jeff said when he came upstairs, 
Mara had already been stabbed and Paul had already been injured too. Jeff said his parents were loved and he didn't know who'd want to hurt them. Tia also didn't know who'd want to hurt them. The police's first theory was that the Skinners were a family of means and that an intruder came in and, and attacked them, looking for money or valuables. The police said that maybe the attacker had seen the family shopping and decided to follow them home. CSIs processed the crime scene. There was so much blood all through the home and there were footprint, footprint and handprints. Two bloodstained knives were found near the staircase. In Tia's bedroom, the police found a sign of Ford's entry. A screen had been cut, and it seemed odd to be the point of entry because the window was elevated. So the police said that the killer would have had to have a ladder stool or something like that to get in. There was no sign that a stool or ladder had been outside. No valuables had been taken, and the police ruled out the robbery theory and now believed the couple had been targeted. The Skinner's neighbors were interviewed. They asked if the couple had any secrets, and all the neighbors said no. They only said good things about them. Mara was in the ICU, and no one knew for sure if she'd survive. The police wanted to try to speak to Mara before she passed away if that was to happen. Officer Brace Timmons attempted to speak with her. I'm trying my best to get as much detail as possible, as quickly as possible, before she's taken to surgery. At first, Mara's memory of the evening mirrors what her adopted children, Jeff and Tia, had both told police. She said basically she returned home, Paul and Mara went to bed. It wasn't long after she fell asleep that Mara was startled awake by a pain in her back. Mara said she couldn't identify her attackers or any features, and she did say that there were two attackers armed with two large knives. They wore masks that covered their faces and Mara said she heard Paul fighting for his life. They asked Mara who'd want to hurt her and Paul, and Mara said she didn't know. The case stalled. Mara's oldest daughter, Madeline, revealed to the police about some recent tension in the home. While at the hospital, I ended up speaking with Madeline, uh, her daughter. I asked her, is there anyone that would want to hurt mom or dad? Who would do this to your family? And she's like, everyone loves my parents. And she's sitting there and thinking about things and trying to figure it out. And then she goes, well, Tia's got a boyfriend. Madeline revealed that Paul and Mara didn't approve of Tia and Jonathan's relationship. Madeline said they kept an open mind at first, but Tia grew more attached. Mara had also heard rumors that Jonathan had been back into his old partying habits. And Mara told Tia that she wasn't happy or comfortable with the relationship. Brace told the rest of the police that they had to look into Jonathan. Jonathan's record looked at, but Jonathan didn't have a violent past. The CSIs made a discovery at the crime scene. A blood trail was found around the property, and near the edge of the yard was a piece of paper. It was a map of the Skinner home and of the surrounding area. On the paper, it literally said, My House. The police knew now that it was an inside job, and it could have only been written by Tia, Mira, or Jeff. The police remembered Jeff's demeanor. They said he seemed unusually calm for someone who had just found his parents stabbed, and that he had a blank stare. The police brought the Skinner family members in for questioning, and Tia was brought in first. Tia didn't show much emotion, and they showed Tia the map, which she stared at for a long time. Finally, Tia confessed that she had wrote it. She said she took it. She said she took part in the attack. Tia then revealed that the mass intruders were Jonathan Kurtz and James Preston. Tia said the men actually persuaded her to get involved. Tia said it was mostly Jonathan's fault, as he was upset her parents didn't want them to be together. The police attempted to track Jonathan and James down. The police did surveillance on the Preston's home, and they saw a car driving away from the home, and it belonged to James's parents.
The police just spoke to James's parents to see if they had any information about the whereabouts. James's parents described their son as someone who helped his friends and his neighbors. He had been an Eagle Scout. He was an athlete. So they were really shocked and surprised that he was named as a suspect in this attack. Jonathan and James were located at a friend's home and they were separated for questioning. James immediately started talking. He said that he was willing to participate in the stabbing because Jonathan asked him to. James revealed that the murder had been planned at church youth group. James literally thought he could confess and then go home. And Jonathan was confronted during his questioning. Jonathan said they had planned to go through Tia's window and that he'd have to find Mara and Paul in their bed. Jonathan said what Jonathan said he was questioning whether or not to do it, but that James said, let's get it done. Jonathan stabbed Mara and James stabbed Paul. Paul grabbed James and put him in the headlock. James continued stabbing him and they were both able to flee and drive home. Jonathan said Jonathan was asked why he did it. Jonathan said he wasn't the mastermind. He said Tia was the true mastermind. Jonathan said Tia wanted revenge after her parents told her to stay away from Jonathan. Tia told her mom that she had stopped speaking to Jonathan, but that was a lie. Mara found out that Tia was still talking to Jonathan, and Mara took her phone away. Church youth group was the only place that Tia could see Jonathan. Tia had made statements that she wanted her parents dead, and Jonathan, James, Jonathan and James agreed. The police pulled Tia and Jonathan's phone records from that night. Tia had told the boys that it had to happen tonight at 11 p.m. and not to text her back. Tia offered to pay James to help them, and she'd offered each of them $1,000. Tia not only drew a map, but also detailed instructions. Tia wrote not to hurt their dogs. Paula had to go, Paul had to go too because he supported Mara. All three were charged with first-degree murder, assault, attempted murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. On June 22, 2011, Jonathan stood trial first. The defense was that Jonathan wasn't aware of the severity of his crimes due to his mental state. Lawyers indicated that he had been struggling with a little bit of depression. He was on medication, and they felt that he was particularly vulnerable. The jury didn't buy that, and Jonathan was found guilty and sentenced to life without parole. James was tried next in July 2011. He, too, was found guilty and sentenced to life without parole. Tia went on trial in August 2011, and Tia was, too, found guilty of all charges and sentenced to life without parole. In court, her entire family is there, including her adoptive mother, Mara, and they all just want justice. These three teenagers killed someone and attempted to kill another over a damn cell phone. I got my phone taken away several times when I was in middle school and never thought to even hurt my parents. It's sickening that Tia, Jonathan, and James all thought murdering someone was a good idea. Now they have ruined a family's life and their own forever. My book recommendation for this week is The Bridesmaids by Victoria Jenkins. Summary, Holly is getting married, but not before a celebration weekend with her closest friends. After a night of arguments, a body is found floating in the swimming pool of their secluded cottage. Holly must face up to the truth. One of her bridesmaids is a killer, but which one? New beginnings, old rivalries, best friends, bad blood, five bridesmaids, one body. These women are brought together to celebrate their friend, but each of them have a secret. Each woman has their own quirky personality. I like that this book kept me guessing. It's a book of celebration, secrets, jealousy, and much more. I give this book a 9 out of 10. I'd love to know what you think about this case. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. 
buy me a coffee, leave me a five-star review or rating, and I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.